Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks for joining us for this week's message from Riverside Church. I believe you will be inspired and blessed by the Word of God. We'd love to welcome you to one of our services next time you're in the Brisbane area. If you'd like to know more about us, go online at www.riversidecc.org.au or like us on Facebook to hear about up-and-coming events. I hope you enjoy the message. God bless you. People anymore. What did he mean by it is finished? He meant the mission for which God had sent him onto the earth was finished. He had completed the job. He had completed the task for which God sent him to the earth. It is finished. Now, the Bible refers to Jesus as the second Adam. The first Adam we know is Adam in the Garden of Eden, the first man created by God, and he messed up. He messed up in the Garden of Eden. He messed up the plan of God. And all this destruction, there was a ripple effect of destruction that came onto the earth when he messed up the plan and the purpose for which he was created. So this ripple effect came on the earth and he became our representative. Who he was, we were or we are. Who Adam is, who Adam was, we are. He represents all of humanity. He represents all of humankind. And then Jesus came, the second Adam. The Bible calls him the second Adam. In some places it calls him the last Adam. And what that means is the last one created without sin. The last one created without that sin in him. But the second Adam came, Jesus, and he fulfilled the plan of God. He fulfilled what the Lord had asked. So when we receive Jesus, he becomes our representative. Instead of Adam, who Adam is, we are, when we receive Jesus, who Jesus is, we are. He's not only our representative, he is our identity. And that's the gospel, really. That's the gospel. Before Jesus, we are represented by a plan that fell apart, that was messed up, that brought destruction, that brought death, brought sin, brought sickness, brought shame, brought everything that was never meant for us. That is who we were. We became who Adam was. Then Jesus came. He sorted that. Jesus reversed that. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. What did Jesus do? How did Jesus do like a reversal, an exchange of what had happened in Adam? And that became us. We take that identity. We take, we take that representation. That's the gospel, really. So... We probably don't need to go any further. I say we go out and have our hot cross buns and our coffee because that's the gospel. It's Good Friday. We've heard the gospel. Is that good, Pastor Jim? Good. No? You want more. Okay. I've got to earn my lunch. Okay. Romans 5.15 says this. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through the other man, the second Adam, the other man, Jesus Christ. It's a story of two men. It's a story of two Adams. So how did Jesus restore what had been lost? What did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? What is the contrast between old Adam and new Adam? We're going to have a look this morning at some of the elements of the fall 
how the fall came about, what the elements, what the aspects are of the fall, and what happened on the cross. What did Jesus do to bring restoration out of destruction? So we're going to draw a bit of a contrast between old Adam and new Adam. What is the difference between the fall and the redemption, a.k.a. the cross? What are the elements at play? First thing we see is that sin gained power through pride. In the Garden of Eden, pride came in and sin gained power through pride. But in Jesus, sin was defeated by humility. It gained power by pride and was defeated by humility. Adam and Eve listened to some bad advice, as we know, and they said to each other, now look, we know what God has said. We know God has said, don't touch that. Everything else is yours, but don't eat that fruit. Don't touch that. And they thought, that's just that one little thing. We know God said, don't do that, but it's just that one little thing. And if we do that one little thing, we'll become like God. We will be the same as God. Now, Lucifer had fallen from heaven. He was one of God's amazing angels. He had fallen from heaven for the same thing. He said, I, uh, being less than God is not good enough for me. Being less than God is not enough. And then he convinced Adam and Eve of the same thing. Being less than God is not good enough. Pride came in. A sense of, I want more. I want to be seen as better. I want to be better. Pride came in and it brought about sin and it brought about the fall of mankind. Sorry, humankind, humanity. So what did Jesus do to turn this around? Well, let's have a look at Philippians 2 and I'll just read from verse 6 to 11. It says, this is speaking of Jesus. It says, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So it's not just death, it's even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And I love that this passage begins in the previous verse by saying, your attitude should be the same as Jesus. My attitude, your attitude should be the same as Jesus. Then it goes on to describe how he humbled himself and became obedient. Because pride destroyed, but humility restored. The second element that we can see about the fall and Jesus' restoration is that disobedience broke relationship with God, but obedience restored relationship with God. Adam and Eve had this amazing life. I mean, they had this incredible life where they had authority over everything. They had perfect communion and communication with God. They would have chats in the evening with God. They had this communion. They had this constant communication. They had this amazing life. But when sin entered the picture by their choice, that all fell apart. 
They were no longer able to live in the garden. They became banned from the garden. They no longer had access to that life that God had planned for them and God had arranged for them. They no longer were able to have relationship with God. And for God's people in the Old Testament, even there, the temple, which is where God resided on earth, which was their picture of where God resided on earth, there was a veil that separated the people from God. The only person who was allowed to go behind that veil was the high priest. And even he had to have a rope tied around him in case he had some sin, had some issues that weren't dealt with, and if he dropped dead, they could drag him out by the rope. And even the high priest could only go in once a year. He could only go once a year into that place where God's presence was. And so God was removed. God was removed by distance. God was removed by position. God was removed from the standing of people. People had to wait for the high priest to go in behind the veil just once a year. So if you wanted to connect with God, you've got to wait for that day. It must have been like Christmas. And you've got to wait for that day. And then the high priest could go and he could go on your behalf to God and make things right. That was the way, the only way they could have any sense of any communication with God. So what did Jesus do to turn that around? Matthew 27 tells us the moment that Jesus died, the very moment he died, the it is finished moment, the veil of the temple tore in two from top to bottom. The veil tore open. The veil tore apart. Jesus made a way in that moment, but it was the moment that he died. That's what it is finished is all about. The tearing away of a wall that separates us from God. Jesus opened the way between us and God the moment that he died. The moment that he died for our sin. That's what it is finished is about. There is no longer anything that separates you from God if you choose to connect with God. Not one thing. The moment you want to speak to God, the moment you open your mouth, if it's 2 a.m. in the morning, 24-7, the moment you want to speak to God, the moment you want to pray and ask him something, the moment you want to say, Jesus, I need to receive you, the moment you need to say, Jesus, I need you, the moment you open your mouth to speak to God, he is listening and he hears you. Because Jesus tore the veil. Jesus said, this is the way. He broke down everything that separated us from God. Everything that has separated you from God. Everything that separates you from God has been broken down in Jesus. It is finished the moment that he died. And Hebrews 7 tells us that Jesus intercedes for us with the Father. He intercedes. I just want to let you take that picture. Picture this in your mind for a moment because it sort of came to me the other day as I was preparing some of this and it it just really hit me for the first time. It had never really sunk into me. Jesus is interceding for me. He is interceding for you with the Father. Talk about intercession. Talk about intercessory prayer. If you could have anybody intercede for you, to God on your behalf, who would you choose? I choose Jesus. And that's happening. That's happening. Right now, Jesus is interceding for you to the Father. 
take a moment and let that picture come into your mind because that's what I did the other day. I just like, I just had this imagination of Jesus at the throne of the Father praying on my behalf, interceding on my, speaking up for me. That happens for you. When you receive Jesus, he intercedes for you. When you open your mouth to pray, God hears you. And Jesus, he's got your back. He's interceding for you. That's what Hebrews 7 tells us. So instead of a veil holding us back from God, a veil has been torn away. The way has been opened. And not only that, Jesus has reversed the situation because instead of being held back, he's actually drawing us in. It's not just the veil opened. Jesus is interceding. So he is filling the gap between us and and the Father. Jesus is making the way. He's interceding for you. I want to ask you if you can remember after you leave here today, next time you pray, next time you stop and say something to God, let that picture come in your mind. Jesus is interceding for me. Let a picture come into your mind of heaven and the glory of the Father and Jesus speaking up for you. Jesus speaking for you to the Father. That's what it is finished is all about. It is finished. The separation, the holding back, the distance, the remoteness, it's all gone. God is here. God is here and he's here for you. The third element that we see here from the fall and then the redemption at the cross is that Adam and Eve hid in shame, but Jesus carried our shame. Adam and Eve hid in shame, but Jesus has carried our shame. Genesis 3, when it's speaking of the fall from verse 8, it says like this, Then the man and the woman, the man and his wife, Adam and Eve, they heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Why did they hear it? Because that had been their daily experience. They heard God as they always heard God walking in the garden in the cool of the day because every day God came and hung out with them basically. Every day God came and he was with them. But they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called out to them, to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I'm naked. So I hid. He's ashamed. He's ashamed. Suddenly... We had things to hide. Before the fall, there was nothing to hide. There was total freedom. No shame, nothing to hide. Then the fall came and suddenly we have things to hide. Shame became part of the human experience. Shame became part of the human experience. So what did Jesus do to turn this around? Well, Hebrews 12 tells it like this. It says, Jesus endured the cross, despising its shame. Despising the shame of the cross. See, the shame of the cross stripped away every supporting thing Jesus had on earth. Everything that Jesus had that supported his life. Everything that he would have had as a human being that would underpin life was stripped away. Everything was stripped away. Reputation, gone. Replaced by mockery. Reputation completely gone. Friends, gone. They've all run away. 
and in fact pretending not to know him. Good friends, the people that had walked with him daily, were now pretending they didn't even know who he was. Everything's gone. Support circle, gone. Dignity, gone. All the dignity that he carried as a human, any dignity that a human being carried, in that moment it's gone. Because that's what the cross was about. Naked and bleeding, no dignity, laughingstock. The cross wasn't just a cruel death, it was meant to be total humiliation. But the Bible says to us, Jesus despised its shame. So what does that mean, despised its shame? Surely shame is the only thing you've got left. Your friends are gone. Your dignity's gone. Your reputation's gone. You're naked. You're bleeding. They are mocking you. They're spitting on you. They're laughing at you. They're making jokes at your expense. What have you got left? Surely shame is all that there is left. Shame is the whole intention of what's happening right here. There's nothing left here but shame. Well, Hebrews 12, if we read it fully, and of course we always try to read things fully so we get them in context. When we read it fully, it doesn't just say, endure the cross despising its shame. It says, who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising its shame. Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising its shame. See, that completes the picture. For the joy set before him, for the comparison of the joy set before him, the shame, nothing. Knowing what was coming in heaven, knowing that God the Father was waiting for him, knowing that God the Father would take him into his glory, the shame, it's nothing. Knowing that he is Take, he is not only taking sin, he's becoming sin. This is why God had to look away. You think of that moment where we say his friends were gone. God was gone. There was a moment there where he didn't even have his father because the father had to look away. Why? Because not only he took sin, he became sin and God can't look on sin. So everything is stripped away. Everything's stripped away. And yet Jesus, for the joy set before him, went, the shame, nothing. The shame is nothing. I, I, in my mind, I picture that Jesus is thinking of us, of our salvation. That he's going to heaven to glory, but he's bringing us to heaven to glory. He's bringing us to heaven to the Father. He's bringing us to that eternity that God always intended for us. God always intended that eternal life. There was never meant to be death. And God always intended that for us. And Jesus saw that he was bringing us to that. And he's like, the shame, that is nothing. That's nothing. See, we need to understand that when Jesus went to the cross, he didn't just deal with our sin. He dealt with everything that comes with sin. And one of the biggies that people deal with that comes with sin is shame. It's shame. See, this is what happens to us. We receive Jesus. We say, Jesus, I, want to, I receive you as my saviour. And we say, Jesus, forgive my sins. And he forgives our sins. And that's great. But then what we do sometimes, we still hang on to the shame that came with sin. The sin is forgiven. It's hard for us to get our head around. But the Bible tells us Jesus doesn't remember the sin that you did if you've asked him to forgive you. 
And yet we carry a shame sometimes. We think about the things that we've done or the things that have been done to us and we feel shame. We sometimes walk around with guilt. We look back, we have memories that make us feel bad. And shame, shame, shame can come, shame can come in, sorry, sorry, all the shames. Shame can come in. We sometimes walk around, we, we live life in a place of regret. That's not freedom. And freedom is in Jesus. We're not meant to have a life of regret. Because regret means we're remembering. But God doesn't remember. So why are we remembering? And Jesus said on the, well not said, but on the cross, the Bible tells us he treated the shame as nothing. Shame is nothing. Because it's all been done for us in Jesus. Not just as sin, but the baggage of sin. The baggage that comes with sin, Jesus dealt with on the cross. The word finished is the word tetelestai, which means paid in full. Tetelestai. It was the word that was used when a servant had completed a job for their master. They would go to the master and say, tetelestai. In other words, it's complete. I've completed what you've asked me to do. It was the word that the accountants used when a bill or a mortgage had been paid because it means paid in full. And the accountant would go, tetelestai, paid in full. All the mortgage people, all the mortgage owners in the building, we're waiting for our tetelestai moment, paid in full. But Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is tetelestai. It is paid in full. It is paid in full. So next time shame wants to come into your heart, nope, paid in full. You may have to get a bit vocal. I do, probably look like an idiot, but that's okay. Shame is not, remember? Sometimes you may have to actually speak to yourself. If a bad memory is coming in, no, no, paid in full. The shame is nothing. No, no, paid in full. Next time regret comes upon you because of something you've done or something you didn't do or something you wished, oh, I wish I'd done that. No, 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 paid in full. Because if you've asked Jesus to forgive you, to Tetelestai is in place. To Tetelestai is covering you. And it means that when those regrets try to come to you, God has forgiven, God has forgotten, so we need to forget. Freedom in Christ is a life where we don't live in regret. We don't live in shame. We don't live in guilt. We don't live in these burdens. We don't live in condemnation. Romans 8, 1 says what? There is now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. What does in Christ Jesus mean? It means we've received Jesus. We've taken him as our Lord and Savior. We've asked him to forgive our sins. He's forgiven our sins to tell us die. It's finished. Everything from my past that would try to weigh me down, nope, to tell us die. Paid in full. We need to all learn that word. It took me a few moments to get my head around it because I was very much mispronouncing it as I was preparing. Quite proud of myself that I said it correctly. Okay. To tell us die. Yep. Okay, I got it now. Right, the fourth element that we see here between the fall and Jesus' res restoration, Jesus' redemptive work is that under old Adam, there came hatred 
But with Jesus was a restoration of love. Jesus brought a restoration of love. You think of this. The first human murder happened in Adam's immediate family. The first murder happened in Adam's immediate family. Cain killed Abel, his sons. That's how quickly hatred to the point of murder came into the world at the fall. That's how quickly hatred came into the world. And that's how quickly humanity took on hatred, took on murder. So what did Jesus do to turn this around? Jesus comes to earth and he demonstrates and he teaches love. Love your enemies. Love those who mistreat you. Love those who are nasty to you, that despise you, that persecute you. What's the answer? What do we do when people don't treat us right? We love them. We love them. You can see how revolutionary this was to people. We love our enemies. If someone sets themselves, well, firstly, we shouldn't have enemies, but if someone sets themselves up as your enemy, you are to love them. Gee, that's a high bar. Yeah, it is, because Jesus is calling us to his standard. He calls us to his standard. It is a high bar. But the Holy Spirit has empowered us to hit the high bar. So if we go less than that, no condemnation, but we need to ask the Holy Spirit to empower us some more. Anyone here ever been treated badly? Don't, don't get angry. Don't plan revenge. Don't plot your revenge. Don't seek revenge. Say thank you. That was good for your love life. Because God's calling us to a high bar. And if we only love people who are easy to love, our love will be shallow and our love will be weak. But Jesus' love is to the point where he's hanging on a cross and he says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. They are beating him. They are crucifying him. I don't want to go because I'll start crying if I actually start talking. When I read that chapter in the Bible, I tend to cry. So I'm not going to talk about the torment that they put Jesus through and yet he loved them. He loved them. Yes, it's a high bar. But if we're Christians, we can hit the high bar because we have the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says they will know that we are Christians by our love. That must mean something pretty strong. Because to be honest, I don't see a lot of people going, they must be Christians by, because I see how much they love each other. God's calling us to Jesus' kind of love, to his kind of love. That's what it is finished is all about. Total revolution from hate to love. Hate to the point of murder, love to the point of loving those who attack you. Jesus is calling us to that. And the fifth thing, the fifth element we see here, and we're drawing to a close now. Adam blamed, Jesus forgives. Adam blamed, Jesus forgives. Adam says to God, kind of, how dare he, but anyway, Adam says to God, the woman that you gave me. Blame, blame to her, blame to God. God must be very loving because at that point I think a lightning would have come down, but any if it were me. But, and the blame game has been played ever since. Ever since that, we have looked to always blame. We don't want to look bad. We don't want to look wrong. We need to blame. Jesus is on the cross and to a thief next to him, to a criminal on another cross, he says, today you will be with me 
in paradise. To the soldiers who did such terrible things to him, he says, not to the soldiers, about the soldiers, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. You know, the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the powers that are behind them. And I always try to remind myself of that because if our, if our thinking is always whatever's happening here, it's that person, that person's saying that or that person's being mean to me or that situation, we're always going to feel stressed and about these situations. But if we understand this is not our wrestle, the wrestle is the powers behind all that stuff. So if someone's giving you a hard time, don't get mad at that person. Begin to declare your authority over the powers that are behind all that stuff. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Jesus said, forgive these guys, forgive these soldiers. He's in agony, he's dying, and he's like, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't get this. They don't know what's happening. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. In his very last moments, Jesus is handing out forgiveness. In his very last moments of life, Jesus is handing out forgiveness to those who tormented him, to a criminal. That's why I believe in very last moments of life salvation. I believe in it. The people in their very last moments, that's grace. God will give you grace if you cry out to him. He will give you grace. Paradise, he says to the guy, you will be with me in paradise. Paradise is the Greek word for garden that is used in the Bible. So the fall banished them from the garden and now Jesus draws us back to that kind of life, to the life of fullness that was in the garden. Under old Adam, this is what life was. Life was prideful, it was disobedient, it was shameful, therefore filled with regret. People living under shame, still ashamed of things from the past, was hateful and blaming, quick to blame. Let's, all, let's make sure that everybody is seen as wrong except me. But in Jesus, our lives are empowered to be like him. Humble, obedient, shame-free, shame-free, loving, forgiving, and forgiven. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray for us this morning, but I'm going to ask you to have a think about just, in fact, just if you don't mind, just close your eyes for a moment. That's just to give you that privacy. And I've asked the Holy Spirit to touch our hearts and lives this morning because no person can do that, not really, not, not the real deal. No words of a person can change your life. Not the way the Holy Spirit can change your life. So I've asked the Holy Spirit to touch people's hearts and lives today. If you don't know Jesus as your saviour, I want to invite you today to make him your saviour. Just pray the prayer. Jesus, I receive you as my saviour. Please forgive my sins. I want to live for you. But as I look around, there's... I don't know everybody here, but I know many people here. So I know there are many Christians here. I know there are many people who have already prayed that prayer. But I want to say to you, if you're walking around with shame and guilt and regret and condemnation, that's not Jesus' intention for you. We have to think back to what the garden was. What was the garden? 
What was God's intention? God's intention was close personal relationship. And at the cross, Jesus said, I'll take your shame. I'll take that burden off you. That baggage you're carrying, I'll take that. I'll take that. He took it on the cross to the point where God couldn't look at him. It was so much. And I want to say to you this morning, if that's you, I want you to today on this Good Friday, I'm just going to pray. And if that's you, why don't you just ask God to just release all that. Ask him to forgive you for carrying stuff that you weren't meant to carry. Jesus said, take my yoke because it is light. It is light. You aren't meant to carry these burdens. So I'm going to pray. And if that's you, I'm just going to ask you to just pray along with me. You can raise your hand to the Lord as an indication. You're not indicating to me. It's totally cool. This is not about me. This is between you and God. And if you need God to touch your life this morning, if you're watching, you know, online, and you need God to touch your life this morning, why don't you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, Lord, I lift all of us up to you. And I declare that you are our Lord. And Jesus, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you for what you did for us. This was a, there was a price we actually couldn't pay, but you paid it when we didn't deserve it. But Lord, I pray for every person here today, and especially those who are crying out to you, Lord, that you would touch our hearts and lives, whatever is needed. Lord, there are burdens being carried here. I can just sense in my spirit that people are carrying burdens here you are not meant to carry. Lord, I pray that you begin to bring such a revelation that you have taken our burdens, that you have taken our sin, you have taken our shame, you have taken our regret. Lord, that you have taken all those things that are holding us down and bearing us down. Lord, I pray for hearts here today that are discouraged. I pray for people who are filled with sorrow. I pray for people that are filled with pain. That, Lord, you would just take that now in the name of Jesus. Lord, take that away in Jesus' name. Lord, I know that when you went to the cross, you said to tell us die. It is finished. All of that is paid in full. And so we receive it now in the name of Jesus. We receive it fully, the full freedom of life in Christ. We receive it now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks for listening today. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you can be inspired weekly. God bless and have a great day.